This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guarantee. So go check them out at linode.com slash freelancershow. Welcome to another episode of The Freelancer Show. Today, uh, we're joined by Jonathan Stark. Hello. And I'm Kai Davis. And we're going to tackle a few mailbag questions that loyal listeners have emailed in or asked us questions about. And uh, we're excited to share some answers. So kicking it off, one question that came in is, how do you identify places online where your target market congregates? And the, the story behind this reader or listener question is they want to do a sales safari style research process. They want to investigate the pains and the problems that their target market is posting about or asking questions about, but they're not sure how to exactly find them online. I think this is an exciting question. I'm curious to hear uh, where Jonathan would start us off with it. Sure. So I have found that it's very, very different from audience to audience, whether or mm -hmm. not you can even find them online. So classic example uh, that comes to mind is doctors. It's really hard to find a place that you're allowed into online to find doctors sort of or what challenges they're facing as business owners and practitioners. It's, it's just brutally hard. Uh, on the other hand, if you want to find out what marketers think about stuff, it's pretty easy. Uh, you can go pretty much anywhere online and marketers are talking about marketing. Uh, so I would say the, the, it's going to depend on who your target audience is for this sales safari. Um, I think Amy Hoy refers to these as watering holes. Where mm -hmm. does your audience hang out in kind of water cooler about their issues? And, you know, depending on, on the audience, it's going to be things like it could be IRC. I, I had a student the other day who's a sort of a hardcore nerd and I was like, there his audience is as well. I was like, probably I'll bet you there's still a bunch of, IRC dudes talking about this, uh, or dudes in IRC talking about this. Um, Slack is becoming a big watering hole for people. So there, you can find, you know, all sorts of slacks on all sorts of topics that may or may not require an actual invite. Some of them have this sort of open invite yourself type of thing. Uh, I know clients who use Facebook groups uh, to find this sort of information. Uh, photographers is a great example of a, an audience that spends a lot of time talking in Facebook groups. Uh, I'm personally focused on credit unions for my mobile business, and I'm, I'm finding uh, a decent amount of information on LinkedIn. They're fairly active on LinkedIn. Uh, but also, I've got on a mailing list that I don't even know how I got on it. I'm surprised I am on it because it's mostly... And I don't say a word, I just read. Uh, and it's uh, it's presidents and CEOs of credit unions who are just wow. sending, yeah, they just send an email back and forth like, um, hey, does anybody have a boilerplate for employee policies? Or uh, what are people reading for uh, leadership 
instruction for cashiers. Um, should be, you know, what are you using for remote uh, deposit capture? You know, like deposit a check on your phone type stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's really all over the road. Cora uh, is very popular in some spaces, uh, sort of the tech uh, startup space, Hacker News. I, it, there's there's really no end to it. I think the, the way into it to figure it out is to first identify an audience for, that you're interested in, which sometimes, you know, for some people is, is actually a big job in itself. And I find the easiest thing to do is to go to a conference website and spider the website looking for this kind of thing. So if you go to the thing about conferences is that uh, their websites are usually just a treasure trove of, of information, but all different kinds of information. It's like this nexus of every kind of hmm, every kind of interest that someone who might attend the conference would have. So I was talking to someone the other day and I said, hey, he's like, uh, I don't know how to um, find out more about uh, about uh, a music industry focus. And he was really limiting his his vertical. He was really limiting it to performing bands. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, just go to the National Association of Musicians Conference website. Look at the list of sponsors. There's not one band on there, but there's 25 you know, title sponsors or you know, platinum sponsors of all different types. And, and some of them are publications. So mm-hmm. go to those publications. Do they have comments on their articles? Do they point to uh, to other places of information, you know, maybe YouTube, maybe there are YouTube comments, maybe there are a lot of vloggers, like in knitting, there's tons of vloggers. So, you know, I guess it's a non-answer. It depends on who your audience is, but pick an audience, find a conference that they care about or a conference that they go to and see, and and you probably are going to find some pretty strong uh, signposts there for watering holes where people can hang out and, uh, and talk about things that they care about. Completely, completely agreed. I think to MicroConf, uh, a bootstrapper conference, and how within the conversations at the conference, in the recordings of the videos, in the community around the conference, it is exactly that spiderweb pattern. You could easily follow a thread and discover a new community that you could dive into, a new area you could start studying and learn more about this target market. And I agree to a T. It starts first and foremost with identifying who your target market is. And then it really depends on that. Exactly like you pointed out, it might be Quora, it might be YouTube, it might be IRC. Who knows? It might only be offline print magazines. It really depends on who your target market is. So it's most important to start with that understanding and then figure out where they're spending the time. I often like identifying any colleagues or contacts I have in that industry vertical and just reaching out to them for either a quick call or a quick email and saying, hey, you know, I'm trying to learn more about industry here. What should I be reading? Where do you, like, what podcasts do people listen to in this industry? And I'll aggregate the results from like five or 10 conversations like that. And that will start pointing me in the right direction. Oh, a bunch of people in e-commerce read uh, Drew's blog, Nerd Marketing. I should probably read that blog as well. Oh, a bunch of people are in this Slack community. I should get into that Slack community so I can understand what the conversations are about. So it really comes down to identifying that target market and ideally having a couple conversations with people in that target market and understanding where people spend their time and spidering off from there. Mm, yeah. And one last point, if you can't, if you, if you have nobody you can reach out to, if you can't find a watering hole, if you're just stonewall, 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 maybe pick a different audience. 
Completely, completely. I think that's one of the best and earliest validation steps. If you are approaching this from the mindset of, I want to study and understand this audience to then be able to better sell and pitch and market to them, and you can't find them online, the absence of any presence is often a sign that, ah, this is not a market we really want to pursue. Uh, I'll often have conversations with people who will say, the exact opposite. Hey, I started investigating this niche. There were, you know, tons of people doing things there. Obviously, it's an overcrowded market. I better not get into it. And I always fire back with, well, if there's 10, 20, 100 different service providers for that market, doesn't that mean you could slip in and be number 99 and have a pretty decent business versus a market where there are no service providers or no watering holes or no communities, and you're just searching for anything? So oftentimes, a crowded market or one where there's a lot of community or a lot of service providers could be a wonderful sign that it's a good target market to focus on. Yeah, it's a thriving ecosystem. And perhaps you go deep in a particular area, differentiate, differentiate yourself in that way. Or, you know, it's like building a McDonald's across from a Burger King. You know, people are buying burgers on the street corner. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's not a bad place to go. I love it. Uh, should we move on to question number two? Sure. Did you have it in front of you? I do, I do. Uh, question two, lately my biggest issues have been organizing and making actionable all of the new ideas I've been learning. Uh, uh, what, what do you recommend in terms of organizing this information and making sure I'm acting on it? For me, personally, it's been a process of taking the information I'm learning and storing it in some place that I'm able to refer back to. As I read articles, I highlight them using a couple online tools. As I read books, I highlight them. And so I'm able to build up a collection of different uh, uh, ideas, different concepts, different tactics. And then when it comes time to say, okay, let's implement a new strategy or a new system or a new tactic in my business, I'm able to review my swipe file that I've been building over time and have a better idea of what to tackle next. How do you handle processing or organizing the information you're learning? Mm, yeah, that's a, a similar to what you said. I kind of, everything I take in, I kind of index, mm -hmm. you know, mentally using a variety of tools, but it's also very, very mental. So also like, ah, oh, I know, I know the answer, you know, I've got a, something happens in my job, something comes up, somebody asks for a proposal. I know the answer is in value based fees by Ellen Weiss, or I know that it's in the, the win without pitching manifesto, or you know, I, I kind of have an idea of where I heard about it. Uh, I know there's a great answer for it somewhere and I can usually find it without too mm -hmm. much effort. But the, the, here's the, the warning though, is that if, if you're at a phase where everything's very new to you and you're taking in tons and tons of stuff, but not implementing any of it, you might be procrastinating. You might be in sort of analysis paralysis and it would probably be a really good idea to take a step back and implement something. Like if you're not implementing anything and you're just reading, 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 I feel like it's hard to actually learn and internalize any information and make it useful without, without applying it. So I would pick the, I would, and this is a little bit hand wavy and it's also a little self-serving, but I would say, talk to someone about, about making sense out of the mountain of business information that you've accumulated and, and taking a look at your business and deciding what's, you know, maybe what's a, a long-term vision. What's, you know, are you going to go into training instead of consulting, you know, big picture stuff mm -hmm. and then say, okay, what's the one step that I can take from where I am to 
that place that at least right now looks like I want to go mm-hmm. and just do that one thing. And, you know, I, you know, I make a living doing this, but of course you could uh, also be in a mastermind. You could, uh, you could get, you could reach out to somebody and ask them to be your mentor, you know, someone who's very advanced and say, Hey, I'm stuck. I feel like I'm on the path that you've already gone down. Uh, you know, anyway, the idea is you, I think what I'm trying to say is you need to get some outside perspective and, and help you it, because it's easy for somebody on the outside who has no skin in the game to be like, Oh, well, obviously you should do this next. It's very yeah. easy for someone on the outside. Completely agreed. Yeah. That outside perspective is often the critical element. We could get so mired in the information that we've gathered around ourselves. We can't really figure out what that next step should be. But somebody else, you could come in at that 5,000 foot view could say, okay, you want to get to X destination. The singular next step you should take is this one thing. And it just helps you move forward. And even if that isn't the perfect next step, it at least is moving. It's starting in some direction. Yeah, it's really, really easy to get mired down in tactics and sometimes even even tactics from one person you trust and another person you trust that seem to conflict. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, this person you trust says do it this way. This other person you trust says do it that way. And it can be paralyzing, you know, if you're trying to do something like, I don't know, put a emailing list sign up form on your on your website. And you don't know if you should add first name or just email or should I do first name and last name? What is, you know, what are the what are the, the experience people say? It's like it's like spending more than five minutes on a decision like that is a waste of time. I'm not right. saying there isn't a difference between those different approaches. There is. But in absence of, you know, it's like an optimization in absence of a bigger strategy or a, a, of a funnel or even understanding your value that you, you know, why clients actually pay you money. Those are most important things. And then all of this other tactical stuff, which is so seductive. And, you know, we're, I, I don't want to say we're guilty of it, but we give a lot of tips here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like we try to add as much context as we can, but, you know, we're not talking to one person like dear listener, you're different than the dear listener in the car next to you. And it's impossible for us without actually talking to you to, to say, okay, this tactic, you're an exception. This tactic is not going to work for you or in your particular, with your particular audience, you should include first name with this particular audience. You shouldn't include first name. So pretty quickly, uh, it can get to, uh, beyond the obvious best practice type stuff. It can pretty quickly get to like a, um, you know, and, and it depends kind of situation that's easy to create paralysis. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of not answering the question that was asked, but when I see somebody who's drowning in information, usually what that tells me is there's either a lack of strategy. Mm-hmm. In other words, they don't have a good focus or, um, they're, they're paralyzed and they feel like, you know, essentially they're procrastinating by trying to organize more information than they actually need. If I just sort these index cards correctly, suddenly it would all make sense. When the truth is, you just need to pull an index card and start. Yeah, just pick one. Just do something. Because yeah. you know, that's I say that all the time. Like I've got advice all day long, but it, and if someone disagrees with me, I'm like, prove me wrong. Go do it. Mm-hmm. And if you and if you have success, you win. Great. You know, if that's what it takes for me to motivate someone to action, you know, proving me wrong, fine. That's all I want. I want people to take action and make progress. I don't care if they, if they, if it turns out my advice was crap, great. Now I've learned too. Mm -hmm. So really just, you know, 
I feel, I feel like this is cheating by not really answering the question, but you know, index the information that you take in because you don't want it to be complete waste that you spent time reading it. But, but try not to obsess on it too much. If you're, if you feel like you're drowning in it, probably you just need to make some forward progress. One, one speaking of tactics, one tactical thing I've done that's helped exactly what this is. If I feel I'm getting too mired in the research rather than the action, I'll start tracking my time and say, okay, how much time am I spending researching and figuring out like strategies and systems and tactics? And how much time am I spending implementing? And just tracking that for a week or a two week period, continuing as normal, just gathering the data on this can reveal interesting trends. And suddenly you could say like, oh, wow, over the last two weeks, I spent 10 hours a week reading books about this topic, but only one hour a week actually implementing those ideas. Well, now you have something quantifiable. You could say, well, I'm going to take half the time I spent reading five hours, and move it over here to the implementation category. What will that look like? Well, start anywhere. Start with the lowest hanging fruit. Start with the most exciting thing. But quantitatively know how much time you're spending on gathering and collecting ideas and how much time you're spending implementing and testing those ideas. And oftentimes when you encounter, you know, Jonathan says A, Kai says B, and you're like, I trust Jonathan and Kai, which one should I do? Pick one and try it. It's different for everybody's business. I might say something and it doesn't work for your business, Jonathan's work, or the flip of that occurs. And it all comes down to testing the different ideas and seeing what applies to your business. There's no guaranteed formula. There's just strategies and systems to try and see what works for your business in particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Experiment a little bit. Mm -hmm. so the, I think a lot, I, I think a lot of times I see that the reason that people end up in analysis paralysis is because the next step they don't want is one that they don't want to take. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're scared or, you know, it involves talking to someone, you know, it involves doing some outreach or, or doing some actual, uh, you know, connecting with another human. <laughs> and, and well, honestly, I mean, Seth Godin talks about this all the time, and I think he's 100% right about this, is that it's a risk. You're scared. You're going to try something new. It could fail. And, and our lizard brain associates that with a slide toward death. It's very scary. It's, it's irrational and bonkers and outdated and not helpful, but it's there for sure. So, you know, it's, and it's, so it's a little bit like, I guess I'm just saying that to recognize that the, the paralysis can have a, a root in a very scary place that's deep within the recesses of our, our monkey mind, uh, which is again, probably a, an advertisement for getting outside assistance, whether it's a mastermind, just outside perspective, because maybe, yeah. maybe you're stuck because you're scared to fail. Uh, which is a uh, fear. It's a real thing. Yeah. And that outside assistance could be a mastermind, could be working with a business coach like Jonathan or myself, could be having a therapist and just talking through like a fear of failure. Hey, what if I do this thing in my business and it all goes kaput? Well, a therapist might be able to help you see it's an experiment, the chances of all your clients leaving you, the chances of going bankrupt, uh, probably pretty zero. So try the mm -hmm. thing, see how the thing works. It applies, I think, beyond business and life in general and see how you survive doing the thing and what you learn from doing the thing. But mastermind, coaching, therapy, uh, a trusted colleague or friend who you're just able to say, hey, I have this idea. I don't know if it's terrible or not, and I'm a bit stuck. Can I bounce the idea off of you? All of these can be wonderful ways to figure out, okay, I have this information. I want to make it more actionable. Where should I start? Now you have a path. Awesome. Yep. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. 
It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. So question three, and I think this is an excellent, excellent one. How can you provide value to people you are attempting to reach through outreach if they're further along the path than you? And uh, uh, analyzing the question, the, the listener is asking, well, if you're attempting to make contact with a potential mentor or somebody in your industry who's, say, the CEO of a company, somebody who just has more authority, more expertise than you, you want to stimulate a conversation with them. You want to learn from them if possible, but you're afraid you're just going to shut down or get shut down or hit the uh, gatekeeper and not be able to get past it. What can you do to provide value when you're doing outreach to somebody who might be further ahead than you? Mm, this is this is tricky. So I think it's a little tricky because I'm not 100% sure I understand the question. But I, when what do you think, Kai? Do you think that question asker is on... Are they saying they're on the same path? So like they're trying to like, like for, I think it's kind of like me doing outreach to like Dan Pink. I mean, mm -hmm. is that, is that what you, is that, is that how you're reading this? I think we yeah. can read it in either way, either like you doing outreach to Dan Pink or Seth Godin or you doing outreach to CEOs of global credit unions. I think the second one is okay. probably a little more on point. But mm -hmm. both of them, I think, are good topics. Let's focus on the second one to start. You're doing outreach okay. to CEOs of a credit to union. To your audience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, big difference. So, okay. So, I see a very big difference in those two places. So, uh, and I would quant I would sort of summarize that as like, how do I do outreach to someone who I consider above me in my mm -hmm. audience? And how do I do outreach to someone who's on the same path I'm on? Mm -hmm. So, I think those are... I think those could be the same thing, but probably not. I think they're probably uh, different usually. So, so to use myself as an example, just like I said, it, somebody like uh, that I see as on a similar path to me is like, you know, Dan Pink, Seth Godin, um, uh, whatever, the start with why guy <laughs> I'm spacing on right now. But those, and that would be a much touchier outreach situation. But if, if, if instead we think about, I look at my audience and I say, okay, I've got uh, credit unions who, uh, you know, and, and I need to speak to executives at credit unions and there are credit unions that do billions of dollars uh, in assets, manage billions of dollars in assets. These are anyone would consider, I think, high powered individuals who have lots of demands from lots of people on them coming from every direction. But we have a, we have very different expertise, like, like the expertise of the CEO of Navy federal credit union is wildly different than my expertise. Mm -hmm. So in a situation like that, 
the outreach would involve the intersection of our two areas of expertise. So <clears throat> I'm going to want to understand that person as much as I can from the outside, but it's going to be hard because they're very, they have just a very different life. And I'm, you know, so I'm going to research them. Like we said in the previous question, it's like, I'm going to read what they read. I'm going to hang out where they hang out. I'm going to listen to what they talk about, what their concerns are. And, and my area of expertise is in mobile technology, particularly in software, in the software space, not as much the hardware. So, okay. So I've got this expertise. They've got this other expertise and I'm going to say, all right, let me look at what they care about. Um, let's see, they care about leadership. They care about risk. They care about, um, Oh, technology. Look at that. Technology is one of the things they care about in this big buffet of other things they have to worry about that I don't. Let's say, all right, let me drill into the technology space. Is there anything that they, you know, what do they, where do they spend their money on technology? Oh, they almost all use Fiserv. They almost all outsource their app development. They almost all have terrible app reviews. You know, and I sort of researched the app area and I, I just find something that. I find some place in that intersection where I can help them. So I'm like, okay, I, I see these people, you know, CEO of Navy Federals, he's got a million things to worry about. Uh, and, and 90% of them aren't even technology. They're people stuff. All right. So, and I see, Oh, but I see that their CIO announced that they're going to have some new initiative or they launch some app and it's bombing in the app store. I'm going to, I'm going to do try and connect with that person in a very constructive way to assist them for free in a way that's very low cost for me. Like, you know, maybe I'll say something like, Oh, you know, honestly, I probably wouldn't reach out to them about a bombing app. I'd reach out about a, an app that's doing great and say, Hey, I saw that you guys just launched rave reviews. Congratulations on that. I think that's awesome. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, have you, have you ever blogged about that? Or, you know, do you guys have some technique or some process that you can share about your approach that smaller credit unions would benefit from? Because I see this as a major problem across the entire space. And, and, you know, I'm flattering them, I'm giving them, but it's not phony. It's real. It's hard to get one of these things, right? So when somebody does it, if I applaud them, then that gives them a little bit of, um, maybe, you know, it makes them feel nice, uh, it was probably a big thing that they had to deal with. Maybe I'll share some blog post about it. Maybe they blogged about it and I'll share that. So I just kind of try and make contact with that person and start a conversation in a helpful way, not in a taker way at all, which is the tricky part here. Because if you perceive that they are a, I don't know if the power frames on them, if they're more successful, if they're driving a Mercedes and you're driving a Geostorm, then you know, it can feel intimidating, but if you just focus on what you're good at, you're almost certainly better at it than they are. So mm -hmm. if you can add some kind of value to, to them in a very non needy, uh, and also not aggressive way, like, Oh, your app stinks. Do you want to help with that? You know, stuff like that. Then I, I feel making. like, <laughs> Oh, so how'd that go for you? I see you got one star in the app, in the app store. <laughs> So I feel like that's actually the less delicate, more easy way. If you, if you come at it with a, uh, from a uh, standpoint of service 
and you know what you're doing. The presumption here is that you're good at something. So you're good at this thing that they're not good at. Then adding your perspective, even if it's just like, wow, respecting that they did something really hard. I think that that's the way to start the conversation. And Mm -hmm. And go from there. And maybe they're never going to be your client, but they might recommend you to somebody who that they are friends with um, because they don't need you because they just they just had the successful app. But they're getting other CEOs be like, damn, you guys nailed that app. How'd you do that? Like, well, you know, we have this internal team. Oh, we don't have an internal team. Oh, well, I know this guy, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm compressing the cycle and you're the outreach expert. So, you know, I'm sure you've got a much more detailed opinion about it. But to me, that's to me. It's not that hard. Um, it's it's it just be good at something and look for people in your audience who need your help, and then just go help them at very low cost to you, even if it's just a compliment, and start a conversation. Completely agreed. Where I see most people get hung up on this is, and again, it comes down to that fear of rejection or them not responding or them responding with a negative response. Chances are that's not going to happen. Like. The most common scenario is they don't reply to your email. The best case scenario is they do reply to your email. And uh, uh, I think the process you describe is perfect. And it really integrates what I see as part of that safari methodology. Well, we want to study them. We want to study their industry. We want to understand where people are succeeding and failing. Oh, here's an outlier. Their mobile app is, you know, has a thousand reviews in the app star, five stars across the board. They're doing something right. Let's reach out to them, stimulate a conversation with them, follow up politely, add value where we can, and see where we're able to take that to. Uh, I had an article I published a few weeks ago about the power of small asks and why, with outreach, you don't always want to start with, hey, can we get on a call? Because that's kind of a big ask, especially if it's somebody who's further ahead of you or more experienced in the industry you're targeting. You are asking for their time, and their time might be worth Three hundred, five hundred, a thousand dollars an hour, and so for a twenty-minute call, you're asking them for a couple hundred bucks of their time. Instead, by focusing on a small ask in email, hey, looks like your app's doing great. Uh, I notice a lot of apps out there are not doing great. What do you credit that success to? You could get a response back quicker. It's a simple question. You can then follow up with a couple more questions. You got to reply back. You follow up and say, hey, this is really exciting. Can we get on a 20-minute call? I'd love to ask a few more questions and learn more about this process. And so you've slowly escalated that level of interaction from an initial email with one small question to multiple questions to you're on a call together. And it's a very natural progression. And people will naturally nope out of that progression if they don't feel it's a fit or don't have the time. And you're left with a collection of just the best prospects to speak to, just the best people to speak to who are interested, who are engaged, who are willing to share information. The one issue is you need a largish, not a large, but a larger sample size. If you have three prospects, you're going to run into a few issues there. If you have 30 prospects, you're going to get a couple of people responding back and a couple phone calls out of it. Yeah, I totally agree on the scale. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask just as a slight change, how would you modify this when it's outreach to that other class of person, when it's outreach to somebody who's a couple chapters or a couple years ahead of you in terms of that experience? Yeah, that's tricky because it's so, I find that hard because it's um, so hard, but you have the same expertise and yours isn't as good as theirs. Mm-hmm. So it's much harder to find an intersection where you can be helpful to them. Mm-hmm. So my only guidance on this really is for, from people who, who have, or, or maybe on the same path as, as I am, but, ha- but started later. 
mm-hmm. who managed to strike up an email relationship with me because they did something. It, it usually goes like this. Usually they email me and, and the tone of the email is such that they recognize that it's that that it's a big ask. It, it, mm-hmm. is, it isn't even a big ask. Like the fact that they're even asking me to read an email from them to them is a big deal. So I'll get an email from someone. It's super, basically it's super humble. It's like, oh man, you know, this, your stuff's so great. And, and it's not like blowing smoke up my butt, but you know, they're just recognizing that, that, um, there's a power, yeah, maybe, right? a power dynamic. Yeah. Like maybe I've accomplished something that they're trying really hard to accomplish and they haven't been able to like, like I've got some secret that they don't. And it's, it's hard to say this without coming off like a jackass, but it's easy for me to flip it around and say, you know, somebody like, uh, I don't know, Seth Godin's that keeps coming up. So I'll just say Seth Godin, like I see myself in the future having a business that looks a lot like what Seth Godin has. Mm-hmm. It's essentially a solo operation where he writes books and does speeches and has this sort of has these sorts of insights that he then translates into something actionable to people who don't have time to sit there all day thinking about it. So, like, I see that, uh, you know, as my next act, I see something like that. It'll mm-hmm. be different ideas, but it's a similar structure. So how, you know, like, what do I, what do I send to Seth Godin? Like, like, what do I, like, uh, could you help me copy you better? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's not helpful. And and so, so I'm, I'm trying to, I'm only saying that because it's like anybody listening to this, if they're like, whoever it is that you're putting on a pedestal, there's probably someone behind you who has you on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. So it kind of cuts both ways. So try to imagine what would ingratiate you to a particular person. So for me, the first step is tone. You know, it, it needs to be a little bit humble. It needs to be a little bit um, informed, I guess. That's that's kind of the most important piece there, I think. It's like it's kind of like when people ask me a question they could easily have found out on Google by Googling me or they could have easily found out by listening to my podcast. Like, oh, can I be a guest in your podcast? Like, we don't have guests in that podcast has been over for two years. So, no, you know, like, so don't be dumb. Don't be lazy. Be smart. Do your homework. Uh, that should happen automatically. If it's someone you follow on a regular basis, you'll be familiar with their stuff. You'll understand the terms, the language that you'll be in the tribe, so to speak. And, and then the next, so, so, so be humble, be informed, but then the, the ask needs to be small. So don't write a, don't send an email to somebody that's like three pages long, like Mm -hmm. cut to the chase. How can, tell me how I can help you. And, make it something that you're going to do. So, so the, the thing that I will always do, I will always help someone who is, is, has a clear ask and is looking for direction. And I can just like, boom, it's like faster for me to just reply to it with either a quick follow-up question or two, or a, you know, a link to an article where I clearly outline, you know, it's like some, but something maybe you couldn't find at Google very easily. Mm-hmm. Now, if this person doesn't take my advice, I will probably never talk to them again. So if they come back to me later and say, yeah, I don't want to do that, or that won't work for me because of insert dumb reason. Um, if they basically reject it or fight it or argue, it's like, 
It's like, look, if you don't agree with me, don't tell me you didn't agree with it. <laughs> Just don't do it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, don't get back to me and tell me why I'm wrong. Right. You know, it's like, it's like ignoring the power frame situation. But if, if somebody takes the advice and then runs with it and comes back to me three months later or three weeks later, and is like, wow, that totally worked. Or I tried it. I found X, Y, and Z, which surprised me. Do you have any mm-hmm. input on that? I will definitely answer that email. I yeah, will that, definitely answer that. That follow-up, that uh, I think of it as closing the loop is so, so, so valuable and important. You start off with a small ask, like uh, let's pick on self-publishing a book. Hey, Jonathan, yep. hey, Kai, I, I'm working on self-publishing my first book. Uh, I don't really know what process to follow to just get it out there. And maybe we say, hey, you know what? You should read uh, Just Fucking Shit by Amy Hoy. And we send them a yep. link and they do the thing and they come back and they're like, thanks so much for recommending that book. I have a clear path now. Is it okay if I check back in in a few weeks or a few months once I get this launched? Hey, yeah, absolutely. A few months pass by, they circle back again. Hey, I published the thing. It just went live. Early reception is good or response is good. That ingratiates that relationship. That makes it easier for that person to reach out again because they've built a solid foundation of asking a question, getting a response, closing the loop, following up, demonstrating that they're willing to take action on advice you give, and that Mm -hmm. builds that strong relationship. It does. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Um, what, a couple of other things come to mind that um, might be worth mentioning. I've had a couple of people who will, uh, I don't want to say jump on the opportunity, but recognize the opportunity when I'm doing something that I'm more open to feedback. So, so in other words, like I put out a book and somebody might say, they get back to me and be like, Hey, you know, I noticed you just put out that book. Um, would you like to come on my podcast? It's not a big podcast, but I'd love to have you come on the podcast and talk about it. And, you know, if you want to promote it, I would be more than happy to do that. Cause I know it's great stuff. I already read it. I already bought it. I already read it. It's great. Mm-hmm. So I'm almost certainly in the mood to promote a book when I just put it out. So, so that's a great time to contact me to get a free hour of consulting because essentially you can have me come on and just ask me your personal questions for an hour and I'm going to happily answer them. Mm-hmm. So, all right, that's a, that's normally a $500 call, you know, so you can get that for free if your timing is right and you've got a story to tell and you're going to publish it. So that's cool. Another thing that uh, have people have, have, um, sort of created, you know, start, other things that have started relationships in this way, uh, also around publishing a book where I've had people, um, write in with blurbs, they'll mm-hmm. say, Hey, it was amazing. Uh, it, you know, blah, 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 amazing blurb. Feel free to use this on your website. Or they'll say, um, Hey, you know, are you, I know from your, from your launch materials that you self published this, um, if do you want and, and from your email that you were looking for feedback, would you like feedback on, you know, things like typos and that sort of stuff? They're like, yeah, definitely. And then I get a spreadsheet two days later of like 45 typos with page numbers. Mm-hmm. So there, there are all sorts of ways. If you're, if you're, a little bit empathetic and you can kind of put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And now that we're talking about it, releasing a book, I think is a very common one where, where, you know, when Seth Godin releases a book, he wants to promote it too. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, or Dan Pink or whoever, they're probably more likely to come on, um, around a launch, whether it's a course or a book or whatever, around a launch, people are probably more open to feedback from the audience than normal. And, and are going to be very appreciative of 
of even the smallest assistance because they're probably under a lot of stress at that point. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a, that's maybe a little bit of a, a hack. I'm not into life hacks or growth hacks, but <laughs> that might be a little bit of a hack. So if, if you're following someone who uh, you'd love to strike up a relationship with and they just launch something big, that could be a good time to reach out to them. They also could be slammed, but uh, it might they might be more open than normal. I found that a slow, consistent pursuit of that relationship can also be valuable. Let's say you're on their email list and they send out a weekly newsletter. Just starting off with small things at first, responding back and saying like, hey, this was a great letter. Hey, it makes the author's day because not many people respond back. And so if you are one of the people who responds back and says, this was great, I really appreciated it, it makes their day. If you're consistently Mm -hmm. showing up, replying back, offering feedback, saying, oh, you used this example, I had that exact same thing. So plus one for me that it works or I had that exact same thing. It played out in a slightly different way here's an alternative take on it. It provides more feedback for that person. It provides more direction. It helps strike up that relationship. And suddenly when that ask comes, or if that ask comes from you to that person who's a couple levels above you, you have this firm foundation that you've already built. It's not email out of the blue. Hey, can I pick your brain? It's, Hey, you know what? We've exchanged probably a dozen emails over the last four months. Can we jump on a call or can I send you across a list of four questions? I'd really love your input on this as I'm making this decision or figuring out the next step to take. You already have a firm foundation built. Mm -hmm, Totally agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, that, that you don't want to be one of those people who, who even in their personal relationships is like, Hey, haven't reached out to you in like five years since we went to high school together, but I just got fired and I would love it if uh, you guys were looking to hire, you know, whatever it's like you start to build up that, that, you know, keep the nurture of the relationship. If you want to call it that the fledgling, the sort of spark of a potential beginning of a relationship Mm -hmm. and uh, build it into, um, build it into your, your routine, really. I mean, that's like uh, personal and business. I think that's good advice, both personal and business. Like, just keep a thread going. It's I feel I, maybe it's. I don't know if it's easier. What do you think? Is it easier or harder in the, a Facebook world to do that? Is it too cheap to just like somebody's, you know, like somebody's post or you know, like somebody's photo or like? Do you need to go? I think you need to go a step farther. But what do you think? I think you definitely need to go a step further. It needs to be some sort of personal interaction, some sort of one-to-one interaction. Maybe it's on Twitter and it's replying to one of their tweets. Maybe it's over email. Maybe it's in a Slack community that you might be both part of. But it needs to be a little more than liking a post or liking a comment or liking a photo. I think there needs to be a little more of a direct personal relationship there or the start of one. Uh, Low, let's call it low quality engagement on social media. I think three or four years ago, it was a wonderful icebreaker. Nowadays, I think there's just so much noise around those channels that it doesn't function that way anymore. It's not as valuable as it used to be. Yeah, I would second that. Icebreaker is the perfect word there. And yes, it was like three years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. But honestly, like the, the thing that's worked best for people when they're trying to make connections with me and the thing that's worked, worked best when I'm trying to make connections with other people has been getting on their email list and just stimulating a conversation by replying to their emails. Maybe they won't respond to the first three or four replies I sent. Don't care. Let me continue doing it anyway. Let me sort of set a threshold. Hey, I'm going to respond to some of their emails and see if I get a response back or some engagement or anything. And if we hit that point and don't, okay, let me move on to something else or try another system here. 
But if we do get a response, let's capitalize on that. Let's strengthen that relationship. Let's use that initial icebreaker to build a better, stronger relationship with them. Mm, yep, I agree. Should we move into picks? Certainly. For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Excellent. Uh, uh, do you have any picks this week? Because I did not prepare any. Uh, that's good to know because I was afraid I was going to steal yours. Uh, <laughs> uh, because of the, uh, I think I think a good pick for a topical pick, I should say, for this week would be nonviolent communication by Marshall. Uh, what's the Rosenberg? Yeah, Marshall Wonderful Rosenberg. Wonderful book. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's it's a very it's very good in terms of building sort of exercising your empathy muscle, I think in, uh, that's hard to describe. I mean, you recommended it to me. That's why I'm kind of, <laughs> that's why I said I was afraid I might steal it from you, but it's a great book to read. Uh, obviously you can, you can go to the show notes, click on the link and, and read the blurb. But I feel like, um, it really changes your perspective on, how you communicate with other people in a way that's beneficial in the kind of situations we've been talking about today. Mm-hmm. I, I was first recommended the book by a relationship counselor friend of mine and absolutely loved it. It helped improve my communication in my romantic and business relationships. And I think it directly applies to how you're communicating with people that you want to build a relationship with. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, the full title is, I believe, Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life. And it's by Marshall Rosenberg. And it'll be in the picks for this episode. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the, that was the one that came to mind for me. So that's all I've got. That's a good one. Well, let's wrap here. Jonathan, thank you so much. This has been fun. And I'm happy we're able to uh, tackle a number of these questions. Yep. Same here. Me too. Excellent. And this has been December Mailbag. So <laughs> thank you so much for uh, tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next week. See you then. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.